Welcome back. Catholic Answers Live. I am Cy Kellett, your host. Jimmy Aiken is our guest in its open forum, which is always fun on a Thursday. Lots and lots of folks on the line. The number is 888-318-7884. You can give it a try. Eventually, you'll uh, get in. But uh, right now, all the lines uh, tied up. 888-318-7884. Let us, I I think we'll just go right back to the the lines. I felt like there was something I was going to say to you before we did that, but... Hmm. Okay. I went, I went out of my head. There was something I was going to say to you. Do you want to say it now? Or well, do you I don't remember? care. Yeah. yeah, oh, I remember. Okay. I was noticing, I was, so you know how like Facebook shows you pictures from a couple of years ago and stuff? Yeah. And I had started growing my beard out, you know, a few years ago, and I thought it had reached terminal length, because I remember we would talk about it on the show. Yeah. Occasionally, people would ask about it. Right. And, and I, I thought that it had reached terminal length, and it was about... If measuring from my chin, it was about 12 inches long at the time. But I was looking at these pictures from a few years ago on Facebook, like from our conference a couple of years ago, and I'm going, my beard is longer than that now. So apparently it was not at terminal length, which is the length your hair grows to and then stops. Yeah. Because now it's like actually, it's basically, it's down to my belly button. So it, it, it just it just slowed down probably enough yeah, that you thought. Yeah, it slowed down. I thought it was at terminal length, but apparently it's not. Yeah. All right. And so now these days it looks kind of like there's a Sherlock Holmes story, and I'm forgetting which one it is, but there's a Sherlock Holmes story where um, this nobleman's uh, son has been seemingly kidnapped. And and so he, Sherlock is talking to the nobleman who's a duke, and they comment that he's got this be- red beard that that goes down his chest and to his you know, over his stomach and dwindles as it goes. So he's got dwindles. this long parted one, long pointed <laughs> one. Yeah. Uh, well, congratulations on achieving an even even greater longer. terminal length. Yeah. So we, we'll that's we'll, kind of cool. We'll check back in. It's sometimes those pictures come up on Facebook and you're like, what? That was five years ago or whatever? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's go to Lancaster, Pennsylvania, which I think is right outside of Philadelphia. I'm not sure. Watching on Facebook, Sarah from Lancaster. You there with us, Sarah? Oh, hang on. Hold on, Sarah. I just pushed the wrong button. I do that sometimes. Sarah, you there with us? Hi, I am. Yes. Thank you for taking my call. Can you hear me? I can. Yeah. Where's Lancaster in Pennsylvania? I'm just curious. Um, it's in the middle of Amish country, ah, it's like in yeah. between Harrisburg and Philadelphia. Yeah, I was completely wrong about that. Okay, uh, go, go ahead, Sarah, <laughs> with your question. Um, well, first, thank you for taking my call. Um, so I am a recent convert to Catholicism. Um, I used to be a very Pentecostal um, Word of Faith Mennonite. Uh-huh. <laughs> so... Um, when I converted, I had a lot of family who um, were really against it. Mm-hmm. And so my two questions kind of come from my conversations with them, and they both pertain to the saints, so hopefully they'll be quick. Um, the first one is, I know that when we pray or we bow or sing to Mary, that it's not worship. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just honoring her. Yeah. Um, but I don't really know how to explain how when we do those things to God, it is considered worship, but okay. it's not when we do it to Mary. So it's because of the different intention. Now, um, suppose—now, you mentioned, you mentioned bowing, and— um, 
And sometimes people get tied in knots, especially from the Protestant community about this. It's like, oh, how can people bow in front of a statue of Mary? Don't you know that violates the Ten Commandments where it says don't make graven images and bow down to them and stuff? And it's very clear from the, uh, from the context culturally in the Ten Commandments that it's talking about idols. And what idols were in the ancient Near East was a vessel for a god to come and inhabit. So this was true in Egypt. It was true elsewhere in the ancient Near East. And so you believed that there was a deity inside the idol. And and uh, Sarah, do you believe that there is a deity inside of an idol of Mary? No. Okay. So it's not going to be uh, it's not going to be worship. It's certainly not divine worship. It's just respect if you're bowing in front of, a, a, of an image of Mary. Just like if you, were, if you go over to England and you get an audience with the queen, if you bow in front of the queen, it's just respect. Or if you go to Japan on a business trip and it's morning and you come down to meet your business partner in Japan and you bow and you say, Ohio gozaimasu. Well, okay, that's just respect. That's not worship because you don't view your business partner or the Queen of England or the Virgin Mary as a deity. You recognize that they're not gods. And so, well, let's suppose you're bowing to God. Is God a deity, Sarah? Yeah. Yeah. So that's the difference. The difference is that we recognize God is a deity. These others are not deities. They're just human beings, however much respect they deserve. And in the same way, praying, okay, so um, praying in the sense of asking Mary for her intercession is just making a request. But are you saying, oh, Mary, you're divine, you're the creator of the universe, you're infinite? Are you saying stuff like that to Mary? No. Well, then you're not praying to Mary in the divine sense. Uh, you would say those things to, to God, though, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's the difference. The difference is that when we have devotional ask, acts that we perform with respect to God, we recognize that he's a deity. And when we have acts of reverence that we direct to other human beings, including Mary and the saints, we recognize that they're not deities. And that's the essential difference. Um, there's more to say about that. I've been meaning to, uh, to write a blog post or an article called What's Wrong with Idolatry, where I make it clear, idolatry is wrong. Now let's talk about what it actually is, because yes. it's not these outward physical things like using words to talk to someone or bowing or kissing or anything like that. Um, idolatry has to involve more than that. And so I've been meaning to write about that. I haven't had a chance to do that yet. But you said, Sarah, you had a second question. What was that? Um, yes. So the other thing that I've uh, that they've said to me is that if I'm praying to saints, I'm actually praying to demons. Yeah, why would they say that? Have they given you any evidence for that? (laughs) Um, They haven't. Um, It's it's a really big thing, Mm -hmm. like, I guess, in the Pentecostal thing, you know, like, if people are talking to ghosts 
or mm-hmm. if like it's really a demon. It's not a ghost that's in your house. So mm-hmm. it, demons are kind of behind every door. So yeah. it, for their logic, it's like, well, there's only God. You can only talk to God. So if you're talking to anything else, it's demonic. Oh, really? That's that very sense. interesting because then you know who the Virgin Mary must have been talking to when she was told she's going to have Jesus. Gabriel was really a demon. He was a. De- she was talking to a demon. <laughs> who is, knew about that? That changes wow. everything. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, um, so no, that's nonsense. Um, and if anyone presents you with a claim, I mean, by all means, ask them what's your evidence for that. And and you know you can consider their evidence. In this case, it's it's it. There's no good evidence for this. This is a stupid claim. Um, and and I get personally really tired of people. And it's not just people in the Protestant community. A lot of Catholics do this too, where they'll assume anything is a demon. Yeah. Uh, and they'll just yeah. assert it as if oh well, as if I have some obligation to believe it. I'll tell you who I'm talking to is the person I'm talking to. So if I'm talking to Cy Kellett, <laughs> okay, I'm talking to Cy Kellett. Now, maybe Cy Kellett isn't in, the, isn't in the no. room with me, but I'm oh. not talking to a demon. I'm, I'm talking right. to the person I'm intending to talk to. And if uh, now, could a demon be overhearing the conversation and could he impersonate Cy Kellett? Well, maybe, but I need evidence for that. Uh, I'm not talking to a demon. I'm talking to the person I'm talking to. So otherwise you could say, well, how do you know when you're talking to God if it's not really a demon intercepting your prayer and pretending to be God? No, God knows when you're talking to him. And in the same way, if I'm talking to the Virgin Mary, that's who I'm talking to. Now, if someone answers back, well, then I have a different question because we are told if someone answers back, We're told test the spirits because they're not all from God. Spirit demons can impersonate other people's spirits. And so I would need to test it and say, okay, if I'm hearing from God or a saint, I need to say, okay, could this be my imagination? Could it be some form of deception from the supernatural world? Or is it really God or the saint talking to me? But I don't get to just assume it's demons or assume it's not. I, I I have to... uh, look for evidence on that question. So if you ever hear back from the Virgin Mary, you will want to consider that question. Yeah. But until yeah. you hear back, you're talking to the Virgin Mary when you're talking to the Virgin Mary. By the way, um, recently, so on Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World, we have a couple of sayings. They're tongue-in-cheek sayings, but the sayings are, it's always aliens and it's always demons, because those are the two explanations that people just reflexively leap to. Mm-hmm. And usually it's neither one. But those are the two that people always want to say. Something strange happens, it's aliens. Something strange happens, it's demons. Right. Well, I'm. Uh, it is not. And to make that point, I recently started scripting an episode that's going to be called It's Always Demons? Question mark where I'm going to go through the evidence and point out here it's not always demons. Here's how we know it's not always demons. And here are the tests you can use based on what we do know about demons to actually evaluate the situation. But we should not reflexively assume that it's demons. And in fact, um, one of the things I do in this episode, I start out the episode to make it clear how we shouldn't be just irresponsibly speculating that things are demons when we don't have evidence for that. 
um, I start off with a series of about eight quick examples where people assumed someone was possessed and then tried to exercise them, and they died. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Yes. And sometimes they die in awful ways. Right, right, right. And um, when people reflexively just say, oh, this must be demons, you're feeding that culture where people mistakenly think yeah. that demons are present when they're not, and then they undertake actions which are sometimes horrific, like let's hold your son's face under the hot water faucet for five to ten minutes to try to use the hot water to expel the demon, and he dies and is scalded all over his body. That's the kind of culture that gets fed into by irresponsibly asserting that things are demons without any evidence. Uh, Sarah, what do you think? All that makes sense to you? Yeah, that was really helpful. Thank you so much. All right, uh, Sarah, how long did you say you had been uh, w or in the Catholic Church? When did you come in? Um, I came in during the pandemic, so it's been about a year. Awesome. Oh, congratulations. Well, I'd like to send you, if you'd like a copy of it, it's always up to the listener. If you want to give us your address, we'll send you a copy of Jimmy Aiken's book, The Words of Eternal Life, uh, True Happiness and Where to Find It for your uh, enlightenment and, and ongoing uh, reading in the faith. And thank you very much. It was re really uh, fun talking with you, but we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back with more Open Forum, Jimmy Aiken, right after this. Let us help you with your question today on Catholic Answers Live. Homeschool Connections, an online provider of courses for your Catholic homeschool, is a sponsor of Catholic Answers Live. Homeschool Connections website is homeschoolconnections.com. Do you have a question but prefer to ask it privately? Catholic Questions can help. Go to catholicquestions.com to ask your question online, email us, drop us a letter, or give us a call. Longtime Catholic Answers Live apologist and author Jim Blackburn or another Catholic Questions apologist will be happy to assist you. Catholic Questions proudly supports Catholic Answers Live. So visit us at catholicquestions.com today. That's catholicquestions.com. This is Dr. Ray Garendi from The Doctor Is In. You call in, and we will talk about what matters to you in your life. People, circumstances, emotions, struggles. We can put our heads together. Maybe raise both of our IQs to help you solve the problems of life and to use your faith to get even smarter. The Doctor Is In with Dr. Ray Garendi. Tomorrow afternoon, 1 Eastern on EWTN Radio. Welcome back. Catholic Answers Live. We got a free ebook. The free ebook right now is Mysteries and Miracles of the Catholic Church, available at shop.catholic.com. It's a, uh, free to you just by heading over to shop.catholic.com and getting it. And I know it's got uh, all kinds of interesting mysteries and miracles that you can check out there. Shop.catholic.com. Up next for Jimmy Aiken, our guest, Andrew in Montana, watching on YouTube. Andrew, thank you for your call. Go ahead with your question. Hey, guys. Thank you very much. And, uh, Jimmy, I really am enjoying your, your book, The Fathers Know Best. So oh, thank, thank you very you. much for writing that. Uh, my question is regarding a um, philosopher, atheist friend of mine who I love very dearly. And when trying to talk to him about the Catholic faith, he keeps trying to remind me to 
tear down all my beliefs first and don't hmm. come from a biased perspective and then to build hmm. it back up. Hmm. But I'm afraid to do that because I'm worried that that would separate me from God if I actually tore down all my beliefs and pretended. Yeah, don't do that. Argument. That seems like a bad plan. Yeah, I don't want to do that. <laughs> exactly. And, and your friend doesn't that do that either. Your, your friend, no matter what his belief system is, he has almost certainly not looked, torn down his beliefs on every issue and rebuilt from the ground up. That's not how humans work. Mm. Now, De- Rene right. Descartes tried to do that, yeah, and he failed. Yeah, he got and, and stuck. <laughs> yeah, people. Well, he he thought he rebuilt his stuff from scratch, but every uh, philosophers who've looked at it carefully have said, you know, he's he's good at applying the doubt, but his rebuilding project is lame. Yeah, and so um, nobody in practice actually rejects all of their beliefs and reconstructs them from the ground up. That is not how the human mind works. And so your friend has not done it, and your friend uh, is not inviting you to do something reasonable, but something unreasonable. But how can I be of further assistance? Well, that kind of leads into the next thing about confession, Mm -hmm. um, because he justified that when he told me to bring everything down, build back up. He says, well, you shouldn't worry about me because you believe that atheists can go to heaven, so you shouldn't really be worried. And then two, you shouldn't be worried about yourself as a Catholic because all you have to do is go to confession and all your sins are forgiven, so why are you worried? Okay, so with regard to both of those, just the fact that something is possible doesn't mean that it's likely or that it's something we should count on. For example, Cy Kellett. Yes, Jimmy Aiken. Suppose that you decided to leap out of an airplane without a parachute. Have there ever been people who have survived leaping out of an airplane without a parachute? Yes, I read about this Russian woman that somehow 10,000 feet she fell and, yeah. and landed in snow and so, survived. So the argument, borrowing from Andrew's philosopher-atheist friend, would be, you shouldn't worry about leaping out of an airplane without a parachute because you acknowledge it's possible you could survive. Somehow this does not seem like a logical connection to me. Yeah, it's not. Yeah. And so just because it's possible for atheists to end up going to heaven doesn't mean that there's no source of concern uh, for an atheist's salvation. So um, so that's something I would point out in that regard. Just because something's possible doesn't mean it isn't a source of concern. In regard to, um, to you shouldn't uh, worry for your own salvation— Well, because you can just go to confession. Well, okay, your friend obviously doesn't understand what's involved in confession uh, because um, you have to repent, meaning you turn your will away from the sin and say, that was wrong, I don't want to do that again. And you need to do penance and things like that so that it's not just like lip service. Right. So that you 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 engage with the reality of that was wrong and I need to not do that. I need to try to overcome that sin in my life by God's grace. So um, the idea that it's just like filling out a form and and nothing else has to be done. You just have to say the right words is uh, is not uh, accurate. Also, the mere fact you have to confess you've done something wrong and you really recognize it's wrong. It's not necessarily fun to acknowledge that verbally no. to another human being. And and that's another way of helping bring home to you the fact that actually these sins are bad. 
they're, they're things you shouldn't have done. They're shameful. Right. And so there has to be a real conversion of the heart involved when we go to confession. And it's not simply paying lip service to something. And so your friend, I don't think, has either an appreciation of the uh, concern that is legitimate for people who don't believe in God or the concern that one should have for one's own salvation and the conversion of heart that's needed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and this uh, feel free to cut me off for time's sake, but that leads to another point he brings up where when he starts from the bottom up and builds on his own philosophy, mm-hmm. he'll say things like, if God, if God was existence itself, because there's nothing, he's existence itself, everything is built off of existence, therefore we're all pieces of God. And yeah, that yeah. doesn't make, that's actually not, uh, not, that doesn't logically follow. Um, I, so Sai and I have a desk here in front of us in the studio, and the desk is supporting various things like a couple of laptops and some microphones and some uh, pads that are under the microphones and a cross and a piece of paper. But that doesn't mean just because the desk supports these items that our laptops or the cross or the paper or the microphones are all part of the desk. They're distinct from the desk, even though they're held up by the desk. And in the same way, um, the fact that God is the ground of existence that holds everything else in existence doesn't obliterate the distinction between uh, God, the ground of existence, and the particular things that exist. It sounds a little bit like your friend might be confused about uh, the ability to mock someone else's beliefs is not the same as understanding them or or even defeating them, that those are two different things. Well, it could be. I don't know that any mocking is actually going on here uh, because Andrew hasn't indicated that. But it does seem to me that his friend uh, is not making some distinctions that should be made. And uh, if your friend is interested... Uh, in, I mean, Trent Horn has a book dealing with the with arguments for the existence of God. You might want to check that out for him, or your friend would be willing. We'd be more than welcome to call in here on the show, and I'd be happy to answer questions he may have. Of course, he's always welcome here, uh, Andrew. Um, I, you know what? Uh, while you're thinking through these things, I always think for someone with a mind like yours, Andrew, you might enjoy, and I'm sure you will enjoy, Jimmy's Jimmy Aiken's book, uh, A Daily Defense, 365 Days Plus One to Becoming a Better Apologist. So that's for you, Andrew. I'm happy to send it to you. If you if you want to give us your address, we will send it off to Montana. And But I'm going to keep moving and say thank you very, very much uh, for the call and for the good conversation. Uh, the number is 888-318-7884. It's open forum. Going to Richmond, Virginia now. Andrew in Richmond, Virginia, listening on the Catholic Answers app. You're up next. Go ahead, Andrew, with your question for Jimmy. Hi, can you all hear me? Yes, we can. Awesome. So I come from a Protestant background mm-hmm. and joined the church back in 2014. And I've heard you all talk on your show and on the Focus podcast referencing the apocryphal books. Um, So I'm kind of wondering what the Catholic definition of an apocryphal book is. And then with sometimes there, you all will reference the inspired writer of the gospel according to Luke or the inspired writer of the letter to the Hebrews. Mm -hmm. But I always thought we kind of know who wrote them, so why do we still call them the 
inspired, inspired author? writers of. Okay. So we're coming up on a break, so let me do what I can uh, to answer your questions. The first one regarding the term Apocrypha, it's used differently in different communions and in the Catholic Church. In the English-speaking world, the term apocrypha is typically used for certain books that are not part of the Catholic canon of the Old Testament, but that um, were in some editions of the Septuagint, Greek translation of the Old Testament. And this would be books like Third and Fourth Maccabees and the Prayer of Manasseh and things like that. They're part of the Protestant Apocrypha, but they're different than the Deuterocanonicals that are part of the Catholic Old Testament. Um, There are other uses of the term Apocrypha, but that's how I would explain it in terms of when Catholics are using this term in the proper sense. That's what it means in a Catholic context. It's these books that are associated with the Old Testament and are in some editions of the Greek Old Testament, but that are not part of the Catholic canon. In terms of uh, referring to people as the inspired author, well, sometimes we have a pretty good idea who the inspired author was. I think Luke is the author of Luke's gospel. In the case of the book of Hebrews, even though historically a lot of people have thought it was St. Paul, in that case, we really don't know. And so I'll often refer to the author of Hebrews as a way of keeping it neutral. But if I say the inspired author... Even if I know who the inspired author was, the reason I'll say the inspired author is either just for stylistic variation, yeah. so I'm not saying the same name all the time, or to remind people he's divinely inspired. Right. So you got to take what he says seriously because he's divinely inspired. And it saying the inspired author points that out in a way that it's not pointed out if I just say Paul or right. something like that. Right. Uh, Andrew, thanks. Uh, I very much appreciate uh, the call. We're going to come back in just a minute with more Open Forum with Jimmy Aiken. So stay on the line, folks. We've got a lot more calls to get to right after this. Have you enrolled in the Catholic Answers School of Apologetics? Let me ask you a more important question. Do you believe as a Catholic that you have an obligation to share the Catholic faith? In fact, the church has answered this question, and the answer is that all confirmed Catholics are obliged to share the faith. It's actually in canon law. Catholic Answers is here to help you fulfill that obligation. Our School of Apologetics courses will equip you to help all the people you come in contact with understand what the church teaches and why. A great place to start is with all the Catholics in your life. Learn the art of apologetics from the best of the best and start sharing the gospel today. Visit schoolofapologetics.com. That's schoolofapologetics.com. Here's a question. Is it really possible to be friends with someone who died 2,000 years ago? Maybe the problem is that we've grown way too comfortable with the story of Jesus. Nice man, right? Taught us to love one another, said not to judge people. We celebrate his birthday every year. It's time to put away this small, safe version of Jesus, says Cy Kellett. Nobody that bland could have transformed the world. In a teacher of strange things, Psy presents Jesus Christ undiluted by sentiment, with all his radical words and deeds uncensored. Do you know someone, your son or daughter perhaps, or maybe your mom or dad, 
who needs the friendship of Jesus Christ? Do you? Order your copy of A Teacher of Strange Things by visiting shop.catholic.com today or asking for it at a good Catholic bookstore near you. Did you know you can access Catholic Answers Live right from your phone or other mobile device? Download the Catholic Answers Live app today. The Catholic Answers Live app, available now on iOS and Android. Tomorrow on More to Life, emotional labor. Are you worn out from being the only one who cares? We'll help you stop feeling like it's all up to you. That's tomorrow on More to Life. Now back to Catholic Answers Live. Sure, that's not excessive. Sure, that's not excessive delighting of it the audience. It is not excessive. All right, all right. A little bit of groovy music for you. Jimmy Aiken, our guest, open forum. Cyrus in Virginia Beach, watching on Twitch. I think Twitch is starting to become something. Uh, yeah. t- Cyrus, we're glad to have you. Cyrus meets Cyril. Oh, uh, yeah. I've been here a few times. Um, Twitch is just a live streaming site. It's not, it's like YouTube. Um, so, hey, I, uh, I I saw Jimmy Aiken on, and I was like, wow, I have three questions I want to ask him, but I didn't write down any. So I went to the next uh, next one in queue, which is aliens. Okay. My question is, assuming we were able to colonize Mars, and we were able to find a, uh, you know, we colonized it, we established a space Jesuit mission, get a, uh, and we get a diocese installed, would we be able to convert some aliens? And assuming they took the vows, would they be able to become priests? Okay, so we're talking intelligent aliens here, like Tars Tarkas or John Jones, yeah. um, and um, and it, it the answer is is open theologically. Um, it, so there's not a definite yes or no. My sense is that it would, assuming the aliens want to become Christians, that it would be possible to baptize them given normal, I mean, assuming there's not anything about their biology that prevents that. Like if they're they're liquid helium aliens. Better not baptize them. Don't baptize them because you're going to boil them alive. Um, But assuming they're able to live in a terrestrial environment like Martians would, um, then, um, then if they want to be baptized, it would be possible to baptize them and confirm them and so forth. It becomes a little more interesting when we get to the priesthood, though, because only a oh, baptized yeah. male can be a priest. So they've got to be a dimorphic species, right? Well, there. maybe. How do you know they don't have three, one yeah, of which right. is male? So, yeah, so yeah, there I are see. some potential issues here. Um, and uh, and and the church would have to work those out, mm-hmm. but the possibility is not either automatically excluded or automatically approved. It's something that would have to be worked out. Uh, Cyrus, if you'd like more information about the uh, religious implications of alien of intelligent alien life, go back and listen to episode fifty five of Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World, which is all about uh, aliens and religion. And we cover, we even cover things like, well, suppose you do have some liquid helium life forms that you can't baptize. What could you do with them? Well, you couldn't baptize them, but you could like make holy water ice cubes and bless them with them. Oh, oh. Cyrus, is that answer satisfying to you? Uh, yeah, and uh, give the guy in like cues like a raise. Like he took my question 
No, no stuttering, no confusion, just professional. You want aliens? Sure, just let me throw you in a queue. Great mm-hmm. work on his part. He, well, he knows what's going to happen when Jimmy Aiken's on. There's going to be alien questions because it's always aliens. Of course. Uh, Cyrus, you're a lot of fun. Thanks. Uh, thanks very much for joining us. I, I appreciate it. I hope that that was uh, helpful to you. I personally, I don't don't know why this is. Mm-hmm. I, I have a visceral uh, hope that uh, there are no liquid helium aliens. And I don't mm-hmm. know. I mean, it just seems too far away from us, I think. Uh-huh. That exotic uh, scares me. Okay. I'm scared by this. Hyper exotic. Well, it, 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 it is less likely than liquid water aliens like mm-hmm. us. I mean, we're, yeah. liquid, we, we're based on liquid water, and that enables us to be carbon-based. And it is, even though there has been speculation about liquid, liquid hydrogen or helium aliens, um, you need, a, in order to, to encode genetic information and run the machinery of a cell, you need something like carbon. Carbon is like the best option on the periodic table at a wide range of temperatures. In, but you also need more than the carbon. You need a like fluid that you can work with, and water works really well for that. Yeah. Um, there have been speculations about, well, maybe we could do it based on helium, or maybe we could do it based on silicon, but it gets less likely. The, oh, yeah. the carbon water sweet spot is where you're most likely to get, get life. life. Yeah. Uh, and by the way, John Jones, is that the Martian Manhunter? Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Which is the best superhero name, yeah, Martian Manhunter. It, it, you, can't, you can't beat that. Yeah. His name is spelled like Ja'on with two N's, right. Ja'ones <laughs> with know, two I Z's, like that. but it's pronounced yeah. John Jones. <laughs> right. Because he's Martian, so you need to have apostrophes in your name. Yeah. All Martian names have apostrophes in them. Well, and some, uh, some um, I mean, like on Stargate, uh, Teal'c. Yeah. has an apostrophe in his name, yeah. but it's a silent apostrophe. Yeah, well, you totally just you just say Tilk, and there's nothing there yeah. corresponding to the apostrophe and the pronunciation. It's is, but you just it, to be an alien, it's you like, really need it's, an apostrophe. It's like in umlauts in a in a heavy metal band name <laughs> that they don't mean or, anything. Or yeah. they're sometimes called right. rock dots. <laughs> yeah, it's like you know in linguistics those actually mean something. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. Um, you know something that's very strange? The New Yorker uses umlauts in English. Did you really? know that? For it, what? I can't remember which letter they put the umlauts over. But mm-hmm. the, for some reason, the New Yorker has this weird quirk where they use umlauts. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna, I'll look it up uh, maybe while you're talking to Wanda. Wanda okay. in Omaha, Nebraska. No apostrophes in Wanda's name. Listening on KVSS Spirit Catholic Radio. Go ahead, Wanda, with your question. Hi, Jimmy. My name is Wanda, and on... Divine Mercy Sunday, I discovered that I, well, I believe I'm being remote neural monitored. And oh. I believe it's a plan that the devil is going to use to take over the world. Okay. I believe it's being done via satellites. Mm-hmm. I believe human beings are involved. I believe intelligence agents are involved. I believe mm-hmm. Luciferians are involved. And I also believe demons are involved. Okay. Are you familiar with this topic? Yes, I am. Do you have a question, uh, Wanda, that you'd like to ask Jimmy? Yeah what what can what can we do about it to bring this to the attention of the world? Okay. Well, I think the first thing that we want to do in any situation like this is be sure of our facts. And um, so you said that on Divine Mercy Sunday, you became aware that uh, you were being that you're you were being remotely 
monitored in terms of your neurology, in terms of what's going on in your brain. Um, how did you become aware of that? What, what suggested to you that you're being subject to remote neural monitoring? I tape recorded I tape recorded what was going on in my home while I slept the night before. Okay, and then what did you hear on the tape? What sounded like people in a command center telling me, um, giving me, well, tell them, giving me commands and me obeying them. Okay, so what did they command you to do? Well, simply go to the bathroom. Okay. So I had been sleeping. Mm -hmm. I had been tape recording nothing. I live alone. I don't sleep with anything, yeah. any of my electronics on. Mm -hmm. And okay. you could hear my bell on my door jingle. And, I have a bell on my door. Right. I got gotcha. you. I, I just want to, we have some limited time and I want to do as much as I can here. I don't need all the detail, but um, so you have, do you still have this tape recording? I do. Has anyone else heard it? They have. And did they hear the same thing on it that you heard? They did. Okay. Um, well, it's an interesting situation. Um, I would be inclined to... Now, so just to tell you where I'm coming from, I, I, I acknowledge that it is that technology can get to a point where it's possible to remotely monitor someone's neurology. Um, I don't know that we have good ways of doing that without implants right now, because if you look at current uh, brain monitoring technology like um, uh, electroencephalograms, they require the presence of some kind of device on your head. And hypothetically, you could then get that information and uplink it through, through a satellite to somewhere else. Um, and if this is being done to people without their consent, then it is, uh, I mean, presumably as part of some intelligence project or something, then that would be bad. It would be immoral. Um, I don't see any evidence in the Bible that would point to this playing a role in the end times. Like you mentioned the Antichrist and you mentioned demons and Luciferians. I, I mean, I, I'm open to hearing evidence for all of those. But I don't see any evidence initially for any of those things. And so I would have to be shown evidence to, you know, support those views. I, what I'm saying is I wouldn't leap to those conclusions. I wouldn't leap to anything that I didn't have evidence for. I wouldn't just assume something. And I wouldn't assume it just because I've heard other people say it. You know, there. Are, if you go on the internet, there are people who will say any theory you want to hear. So you can't accept a theory just because you've heard it said, or because it seems to, in some way, correspond to things that you've experienced. You need evidence for each additional claim that gets made. And um, I would be interested if you uh, want to email me a recording. Or, uh, like an electronic file of this recording, you can email me at jimmy at catholic.com. That's J-I-M-M-Y at catholic.com. And I can maybe take a listen to the file and see what I hear on it and get back to you. Um, it is important to be aware that there can be a variety of different things that could produce um, 
the kinds of experiences you've had, and it's important to get them checked out. Uh, I would talk, for example, um, you know, to your doctor about some of this. Maybe your doctor could look at maybe take an X-ray or some other kind of image of of your head and see do does he see any monitoring devices that have been implanted there? Could there be another explanation? Um, sometimes people have had brain tumors that have caused them to have experiences like this. And if you've got a brain tumor, you want to find out about it so you can get treatment. There have been other causes as well. So before settling on the conclusion or on any single conclusion, I think it's important to check out all possibilities. And like I said, if you have this piece of objective evidence in the form of this recording, if you can send me that recording at jimmy at catholic.com, I'll be happy to listen to it and be of what further assistance I can. Wanda, thank you very, very much. We have to go to a break. If you would like a copy of Jimmy Aiken's book, The Words of Eternal Life, I would love to send it to you. It's entirely up to you. Uh, you can talk with Thomas uh, and uh, let him know if you'd like that book. And uh, we look forward to hearing from you again. We've got to go take a break. We'll be right back with more Open Forum with Jimmy Aiken right after that. This. Hang on. Catholic Answers Live will return in a moment. Underwriting for Catholic Answers Live is provided by Real Estate for Life. Real Estate for Life connects home buyers and sellers to real estate agents while supporting pro-life organizations on the web at realestateforlife.org. Go forth and preach the good news. It's not just a suggestion. If you want to take more seriously the command of Jesus to share the gospel with those around you, consider joining St. Paul Street Evangelization. It's a grassroots organization that brings the Catholic faith to the streets in a non-confrontational way. Visit our website, www.streetevangelization.com, to learn more. And don't forget to like us on Facebook. It's time to do our part. Wherever you are in the world, you can access the EWTN Global Catholic Network. It's everywhere. You can get EWTN's great Catholic programming on your car radio, at home on your TV, computer, or smart speaker. With EWTN's app, you can take EWTN everywhere on your phone or mobile device. If you want your news in print, turn to EWTN's paper of record, the National Catholic Register. EWTN, the Global Catholic Network. Welcome back. Catholic Answers Live, Tempest Fugitive again today. We're almost at the end. we got lots of folks on the line, so we'll try to get to as many of them as we can. I believe EJ from Guam, uh, listening on the Catholic Answers app, is up next. EJ, are you there with us? Hi. Hi. Good e morning, or good afternoon. Well, good morning to you, uh, and I hope you've had your breakfast. Uh, go ahead with your question for Jimmy. Yeah, I did. Good afternoon, Mr. Kellett and Mr. Aitken. So um, my question is, I'm just trying to understand our Protestant brothers and sisters, why they say St. Peter is not the rock, the petrol where Jesus built his church. Okay, so uh, actually a lot of them accept the fact that Peter is the rock that Jesus is talking about in Matthew 16, 18. So we shouldn't characterize 
all Protestants as rejecting that, because a lot of them accept it. In, in particular, a lot of Protestant biblical scholars accept it, because they've studied the passage, they recognize that, yeah, the evidence points to Jesus is at least in part talking about Peter here. Now, they may not then go on to conclude that Peter is the pope or he has successors in that office, but a lot of them do acknowledge it. The reason that um, that uh, those who do not accept it do not can be explained in a number of different ways on a on a personal level. Well, that's what they've always been told. The ordinary people in the pew have always been told it's not Peter. And so they accept that just like people in every communion tend to accept what their religious leaders tell them. And so that's why a lot of people don't. And they've never really studied it. They've never really given a lot of thought to it. They've just always heard this. Um when it comes to those who, who do, uh, who have studied it somewhat, a common argument that you hear is, well, there's a difference in the word that Jesus uses when he says, you are Peter, he uses the word Petros, and then when he says, and on this rock, he uses a slightly different word, which is Petra. And uh, there is a, a difference in the form that the word takes, but the this is one of the things that solid biblical scholarship has concluded is that there's not a difference in meaning here, and the 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 shift in the form of the word can be explained in more than one way. But if you want further information about that, EJ, I would suggest going to uh, Catholic.com and typing in Petros. P-E-T-R-O-S, and Petra, P-E-T-R-A, and you'll have some resources pop up. Okay, EJ? Thank you very much, sir. Thank you very much. We always like getting a, qual- a call from Guam. It's very nice of you to call. appreciate that, and I hope you have a, the rest of your day goes very, very well, because, you know, it's Friday there, Jimmy. Uh-huh. It's Friday in Guam. They're very prompt people. It's mm-hmm. already Friday there. Uh, Dick uh, in Peterson, Iowa listening on EWTN. You are up next. Dick, go ahead with your question for Jimmy. Okay, I was uh, wondering, well, basically, what is the job or the purpose of my guardian angel? And what's the difference between a guardian angel and, like, an archangel? Okay. So a guardian angel, as the name would suggest, is an angel whose job is to guard you. And in terms of how they do that, well, one of the things that Jesus mentions in the gospel is that the angels of little children, he says, never fail to see the face of my father. And the way I take that, that means that these angels, these guardian angels of little children, have guaranteed access to the Father in heaven. So they can like report to God what's going on with their charges and say, hey, the little boy or the little girl that I'm assigned to is in trouble. Here's the source of the trouble. What do you want me to do about it? And then God can give them instructions. And then guardian angels, their primary job is to protect us from spiritual dangers, but they can also protect us from physical dangers. Uh, And so their job isn't limited to one or the other. What's the difference between a guardian angel and an archangel? Well, there's some overlap in the categories. Now, the word archangel comes from a couple of Greek words. The first is arche, and the second is angelos. Angelos means messenger or angel, but what does arche mean? Well, arche is a word that means first 
or chief. And so that's like an archbishop is a chief bishop. He's a high-ranking bishop compared to just an ordinary bishop. And that's what the the arch in archangel means as well. It means chief or high-ranking. So an archangel is a high-ranking angel. It's not an ordinary angel. He's a high-ranking one. Kind of like in the army, you know, a general officer is different than a private officer. Yeah. You know, privates are, are kind of ordinary in the military, but generals are high-ranking. That's kind of like what an archangel is compared to a regular angel. Now, are archangels sometimes guardian angels? Yeah, we've got evidence of that. We have evidence that Michael is an archangel, and we have evidence that Michael was the guardian angel of Israel, and he's also regarded as the guardian angel of the church. And so Michael seems to be someone who's both an archangel and a guardian angel for these big entities, like big important entities like Israel and the church. But an ordinary person, their guardian angel is probably an ordinary angel rather than a high-ranking one. Uh, Dick, all that work for you? Yeah, I was now. Is my guardian angel working as hard for me as a, uh, an adult? <laughs> oh, as when you were a child. As when I was a child, I, you know. Well, uh, I, we shouldn't really worry about that. God gives your guardian angel whatever resources the angel needs to guard you, and so um, you can always count on God and your guardian angel to be on the lookout for you. Dick, I'm going to say thanks. Going to try to keep moving, see if we can get everybody on before we have to go. We'll go to Mike in Dallas, Texas, listening to EWTN on Channel 130, Sirius XM Satellite Radio. Mike, go ahead with your question for Jimmy. Uh, Good evening, gentlemen. Um, So my question is about the Dedeke. I've been been looking at it recently, and I'm hoping I'm pronouncing it correctly. Yeah, you're doing fine. It seems to me that they're, they're they're very specific consistent and identical uh, teachings to the that are in the gospel in the New Testament for just, you know, thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not, and mm-hmm. it specifically mentions abortion and infanticide, and then... So you got to get to a question, about, Mike. I'm sorry to rush you, but I just don't want to run out of time. So your question about the Didache? Is why, how authoritative is this in the Catholic Church, and if it is at all, why don't we hear more about it? The Didache is not part of the New Testament, and therefore it is not Scripture, and it is not authoritative. Um, It also, even though it has some legal provisions in it, canon law has been modified since then, so it is not authoritative. What it is is a very useful uh, resource for learning about the early church, but it doesn't—and so it's very valued in that regard as a work that helps— helps us learn about the early church, but it's not itself authoritative. Okay. It is good, Thank though, you. isn't it, Mike? Oh, I love it. Yeah. yeah, it's, yeah uh, you, you can, I mean, it's probably the first pocket guide. That, uh, right. It's, it is kind of a, a pocket guide to the faith, right? All right. Thanks, Mike. I, I'm going to keep moving. I try to get everybody on. Christy in Omaha, Nebraska, listening on Spirit Catholic Radio. You are up next. Go ahead with your question, Christy. Thank you very much. How can I get my how can I get for my friend and I one rosary? Well, uh, you can often find rosaries in the vestibules of Catholic churches. Sometimes people leave them there and you can pick them up that way. Uh, you could always go on amazon.com and order a rosary or you could go to rosaryarmy.com and get a rosary. You could even make your own. 
So there are a, uh, a variety of ways to do it, but those are three just to get you started. Thank you very much. No sure. problem. Sure. Good evening. Thank you. God bless. You. Oh, God you bless too. you. You're Good very, evening very, to you, too. You're very, very welcome. Uh, and I scared everybody else away. Scared all the other callers away. I don't I think you were. Don't. You're not that. You don't think I'm that threatening? I mean this in a good way. You're not that scary. <laughs> okay, good. In all a right. good way. I appreciate you. Well, what's the bad way of meaning you're not that scary? Kind you're of, not you, that scary. Oh, uh, yeah. Right. Yeah. I see what you're saying. Yeah. That's kind of insulting. Now I'm all mad. Uh, well, and I tried to avoid that, but you had to ask. <laughs> well, now I'm scary because I'm mad. Uh, I, I do want to remind folks. I won't contradict you on that point. <laughs> uh, store-wide sale going on right now, and I don't know how long it goes on, but they had it because they figure you're probably going to want to get that Christmas stuff ordered. You can do that at shop.catholic.com. Everything on sale, at least 10% off. Some of it up to, I, I even heard about one thing, up to 75% off. Also, flat rate, uh, $5 shipping on everything you order. Shop. Dot catholic.com and i've heard that it may be difficult to get stuff for christmas so you know let's go to the catholic answers store and pick up some stuff for christmas <laughs> yes let's go jimmy let's do that uh jimmy Aiken's mysterious world tomorrow you got an exciting episode but it's going to be uh patron uh, questions yeah, we're going to talk a, about all kinds a, of a interesting potpourri, stuff a smogus or smorgasbord yeah or, is it smorgasbord or smorgasborg I think it's board. Smorgasbord. A smorgasbord because would be like... They, they, no, that's why it's called... Because they have... A, for smorgasbords, they lay out a board yeah. and on a table, and then they put the food on the board. Oh. I never... I never act... I guess I've never had it. Uh-huh. I guess I never had smorgasbord. Okay. Or, well, they have... You know, you could have a smorgasbord. You could go to Indonesia and has, have a rich tafel. What's a rich tafel? A rice table, which oh, is a I kind of similar concept. Yeah. And they can be so hot, they give you vegetable neutralizer to eat along with it. You mean hot like spicy hot? Yes. Oh, no. No, no. I can't do that. Uh-huh. I am. I am. Well, I, as, you, as you said before, I'm not scary. I'm mm-hmm. also not not hearty. I cannot do <laughs> that. That's spicy stuff. Well, that's why they give you the veg, the veg, the alkali vegetable neutralizers. Yeah. You know, I was raised on boiled cabbage and uh, corned beef. Okay. So that's about... And boy, is that corn beef You know, spicy. and they don't have a lot, a huge lot of spices in, like, UK, British Isles cooking. You know why? Probably couldn't get them. Because they're not near the equator. Oh, yeah. The, the oh, cuisines yeah. that have lots of spice are closer to the equator, at least, or influenced by groups that are closer to the equator, because what the spices do in the food is kill parasites. And so if you're in a northern climate, you've got fewer parasites. If you're in a hotter climate around the equator, you've got more parasites to deal with. And that's why we put spices in our food. We don't realize it, but that's the function they perform, other than tasting good. Now, why am I not surprised at all that you know that? Yeah. This is what British people say about food. When you ever make a joke about British food, they, they always say this. They always go, oh, it's gotten much better. Like, <laughs> well, they have like they, curries they, now. They, they acknowledge that at some point it was horrible. It's gotten much better. They never say, oh, it's, oh our food is great. Uh, Andrew, on the video, thanks for doing that. You did a very fine job, Andrew. And you got our little joke about Loki earlier. I appreciate that. Thomas, on the phones, you were a superstar. You even got someone to say what a great job you're doing on the air, Thomas. Yeah. Nice work. And uh, Brandon, of course, as always, very fine video work. Jimmy. Nicely done. 
I, I think we did a nice job, too. I so think so, Good too. job, us. Nicely done, Cy Callen. Nicely done. Hey, tomorrow, uh, the great Gary Machuda's here. We're going to talk about his new book about reality. See you then, God willing.